Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we are continuing a sermon series we've been in for some time now called Full Life. And this series comes to us primarily out of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they, meaning us, may have life and have it to the full. And so each week in this series, we're looking at another aspect of the life that Jesus came to give us and asking ourselves, are our lives full of that or are they full of substitutes and counterfeits for that life that leave us wanting more? And so we're going to look at another aspect of that full life this morning, and as we move into this, I want to tell you about the summer between my junior and senior year of college when I went on a mission trip to Siberia, Russia. And as a part of this trip, this team of, uh, of us built a campground that allowed high school and college-age students to get out of the city to the shores of Lake Baikal, this incredible place where they could spend two weeks and we could build relationships with them and we could share the gospel with them. Well, during one of these sessions, I met a young man named Vanya, and he spoke no English, and I spoke like eight words of Russian, and so our conversations were very short, (laughs) at least initially. But we both loved to play sports, and we could laugh and just mess around, and there were times where we had a translator helping, you know, translate our conversation, but there were a lot of times where we just spent time together, communicating the best we could. Well, near the end of our time together, we were in one of those moments, just the two of us, and Vanya showed me this incredible watch. He handed it to me, and it was, it was made of all metal, and probably stainless steel or something like that, and had a round face, and around the face was this kind of gold trim of some kind, and you know, I thought it was really a, a cool watch. You wound it, and after looking at it, I went to hand it back to him, but he refused. Instead, he insisted that I take the watch that he give it to me. And I was already honored by that gift, but then he began to share where the watch had come from. It had come from his grandfather. It has been a grandfather's watch who had passed it to his father, who had passed it to him. And now he was giving it to me. What an incredible gift. Incredible value for this watch, not because it was made of precious materials, but because it had been passed generation to generation, and that's what gave it this incredible value, and now it had come to me. And full life in Jesus Christ is a lot like that. It is a precious and valuable gift. It has been passed to us by those who received it, those who have come before us. And the question for us this morning is, will we pass it to another generation and bless them in the same sort of way? So we're going to jump into this theme, looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I invite you, if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen as we listen for God's word to us this morning. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. 
and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to the reading to the proclaiming, to the hearing, and the responding to your word. We thank you that your word is not chained, and so will you release it in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Paul's second letter written to Timothy a young pastor over a young church in the city of Ephesus. And as Paul tells us in this section of the letter, he's written it while he is in chains. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. And he has written this letter because he's probably becoming aware that his end is coming soon. As the persecution in the Roman Empire has increased. And so he is concerned for Timothy and for the young church. And so he's writing this letter with an urgency and a tenderness that you probably noticed right at the opening where he says, You then, my son. This was not just a normal greeting. This was Paul's affectionate referral to Timothy, who he had come to love like a son. And he encourages Timothy with these words. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I found myself thinking about this sentence this week, and I, I found it somewhat odd. And maybe as followers of Jesus, we kind of take it for granted. But if you think about it, this is kind of an odd sentence you think about, think about the things in your life or think about the things in our lives that we are typically strong in, that we can be strong in those things. What are those things? Well, we can typically be strong in the things that we are good at, that they are strengths of ours. In other words, we're strong because we have what it takes to face the challenge that is before us. It's when we feel most strong, we lean into those strengths. And if we lack strength, what are we usually encouraged to do? I mean, certainly exercise, right? If it's physical strength that we're lacking, if it's skills that we're lacking, we're encouraged to go receive training and practice over and over and over again. All of this so that the next time we face a situation or a challenge, then we will know we have the strength to get through it. We'll have what it takes already on board. But this is not at all what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's not saying, get your strength from within where you know you've got it under control. But instead, he says this, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The grace. Grace is that which comes to us when we don't have what it takes to make it through. 
Grace is what comes when we don't have what it takes to overcome a situation, to overcome the challenges that are before us. Grace is what comes when the circumstance seems like it will overwhelm us, when our sin and our habits that are painful and destruction to ourselves and to others are overwhelming and we can't seem to get rid of them in our lives. Grace is what comes when we don't have what it's going to take But Paul is saying to us, those circumstances don't have to crush us. Instead, we can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the grace of the gospel gives us strength for everyday living that defies what is normally expected of us. Because the strength that comes from the gospel doesn't come from our ability. It doesn't come from our adequacy. The strength that comes from the gospel comes from Jesus Christ. And Paul says to Timothy and says to us this morning, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him raised from the dead, descended from David. He says, this is my gospel. In other words, this is my good news. So when You're facing the bad news of life. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ. Specifically, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And implied in that statement is that obviously he had to have died first to rise from the dead, right? And so that gospel is that Jesus died, that he took on himself our sin, our weakness, our failure, our inadequacy, and he crucified them in his own body on the cross so we no longer have to only have strength when we are adequate, when we are good enough. We don't have to be defined by our failure, but instead he rose again from the dead. And in that moment, overcame our sin, our failure, our weakness, our inadequacy. So that now we can have a confidence. In other words, we can be strong no matter the circumstance because there is no circumstance that we can face in life or death, in heaven or hell. There is no failure or sin that can overwhelm us or crush us in light of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ unleashed in our lives. That's good news. No matter what we're facing, we can have strength because of Jesus Christ descended from David. In other words, the promised king that has been longed for, who will protect, who will provide, who will usher in the fullness and the beauty and the majesty of the kingdom of God into our lives here and now and ultimately will restore it completely forevermore. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, in the middle of the struggle, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the good news. But he also is saying that good news is not just for Paul. It's not just for Timothy. He said, and the things you have heard, this good news, this strength of the grace that is avail- that's available to you through the grace of Jesus Christ, these things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach to others. Do you see in that how many generations Paul has in view? We've got Paul himself, his son Timothy. We've got the reliable people that Timothy would give, share the gospel with who are also qualified then to teach others. We've got four generations in Paul's mind and in his view in this moment. I had a friend, Eric, in high school, and he did like every running event, I think, ever. And 
his best event, though, was the 800 meter, which is just a gross event. Like, is it a sprint? Is it a distance? Oh, it's, it's wrong. But his four by 800 meter team, our senior year, won the state championship. And you can imagine that they practiced so hard. But the thing about that event is that, yes, you have to practice running, but that's really not enough. They had to every day practice passing the baton from person to person. The baton's that stick that they have in a relay race that they hand from one person to the next. And it's really a simple concept, isn't it? One person has stick, give to next person. Not so difficult, right? But to be able to pass that baton when one person is running full speed, coming up behind the other person, and to pass it in such a way that the front person does not have to look back so that they can continue to run at full speed as well is something that has to be practiced over and over with intentionality. Because it doesn't actually matter how fast you are if you can't pass the baton. And by definition, you're not allowed to run the 4 by 800 by yourself. <laughs> it's a team sport. And Paul is saying to Timothy, with this vision of four generations, this is a team sport. That the grace of God in Jesus Christ would be passed generation to generation to generation. And it takes intentionality and practice. And I'm the product of this intentionality. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, but when I got to college, that's when I really discovered what it was to live with Jesus every day. This is where I learned to receive the strength that comes from his gospel in every circumstance and situation I would find myself in. And my junior and senior year of college, the director of our college ministry took an interest in me and invited me to start meeting with him. And I met with him almost every single week for two years. And in our time together, we would discuss the scripture and what God was saying to us. He would help me unpack life, things that came from my past, things that were happening in my present. He even spoke deeply into my future as he nudged me to consider a career in ministry. Well, see, here's the thing. Bill had been invested in, in that same kind of way by a man named Denny Ryberg at the University of Washington. So I was the third generation in that little tree, and then I was sent out to be first an intern in a college ministry, and then ultimately to become a pastor, and now I'm here with you. And so you are at least the fourth generation in just that little part of the family tree that has gone back for generations and generations. And the question for us this morning is, where will this tree go from here? And I believe this is one of the most pressing questions, most urgent calls facing the church in America today. Will we pass the baton of faith to the next generation? And will we give them a vision to pass the faith to the generation after them? Will we help them know Jesus deeply? Will they help, we help them experience the strength that can only come to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ that will help navigate the uncertainty of the world that they're living in, that will help them face the questions of identity and acceptance, that will help them face the anxiety and depression and chaos that seems to be all around them? Will we help them see that part of their identity made in the image of God is to leverage and give away their life for the sake of the generation that will come after them? 
This is one of the most urgent calls, in my opinion, on us as the church in America. And you don't need the exact statistics and numbers to know that with every successive generation that is alive in America today, participation in the Christian faith and the church has declined and declined and declined. And so what will we do about it? I can't tell you exactly who said it. I tried to figure out so I could give credit, but it, it was said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Just think about that. Christianity is always one generation, one baton dropped away from extinction. From no light speaking into the darkness of our world. And, and here's the thing. I'm grateful that our God is sovereign and that Jesus promises to build his church. But he didn't promise to build this one. He promised to build his church. He didn't promise to build the church in America. He promised to build his church. And his church, I am pleased to tell you, is thriving and is flourishing throughout the world, particularly in places where there is suffering and there is persecution, because in those places, the grace and strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ is desperately needed and is alive and active in their life. See, when we live in places of comfort and security, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to start feeling like, you know what, I don't, I don't need any help. I don't really need strength that comes from the gospel. I've got this. No problem. But there is a strength in the gospel of Jesus Christ and will we pass it to the next generation? Because here's the thing. The next generation will be discipled, will be formed, will be shaped by something, by someone. The only question is who? Right? Generation Z which is born between 1999 and 2015, teenagers in Generation Z right now spend on average over 10 hours every day online. You didn't even know they were awake 10 hours a day, did you? <laughs> 10 hours a day. What's on the other end? Who's on the other end shaping their lives, their minds, their beliefs? Who are we going to be in their life? Will we be a force shaping them with the strength that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or will we sit back passively and just kind of let it all happen and let whoever is going to shape them, shape them? And if we want to be intentional and practice this baton passing generation to generation, it's not going to happen on accident. It is going to take an incredible amount of focus. This is part of why Paul says to Timothy that no good soldier gets distracted by civilian affairs, but instead is fixated on pleasing their commanding officer. He's saying, here's the thing. Passing the baton is the most important thing. Don't get distracted by everything else. Don't get distracted by whatever it is that would come up in your life. Instead, we have to focus with intentionality on the next generation because if we don't focus on the next generation, no one will. That's part of the calling of the church. We have to prioritize that focus because when we do, we can receive like the athlete image that he gives, the victor's crown. We, like the farmers enjoying the crops, will enjoy the harvest of the gospel among the next generation. And that is a glorious and beautiful thing. 
but it's not going to happen on accident, and it will cost something. Isn't that always the way of Jesus? It's like, right when we think, okay, I'm getting the strength that I need from the gospel. I'm getting this grace that I need. And man, grace, it came at no cost to me. It was free, and yet it cost us everything. Because to truly receive it means to give up the notion that I have strength in and of myself, that I have adequacy in and of myself. To receive the strength of the gospel is to say, no, I'm no longer in charge. You're in charge of my life. And that's why Paul is saying, Timothy, it's going to cost you. And so you're going to endure hardship like a good soldier. It's going to cost you. And it cost Paul. Paul was arrested regularly. He was beaten. He had been shipwrecked. They had tried to stone him, throw rocks at him, stone him to death on multiple occasions. Right now he's in prison awaiting his own execution. What did it cost him to pass the baton to the next generation? Everything. And it's going to cost us something too. And it might be significant. Because it might demand that we change. We might have to change our priorities We might have to change our behaviors. We might have to give up our comfort and the things that we enjoy. We might have to change how we do church even though we love it. And it's been so important to us. The Barna Research Group has been researching kind of the intersection of faith and and culture for years. And recently, they were surveying these Generation Z teenagers And what they found was that among self-professed Christians, in other words, those teenagers that are saying yes to Jesus, that those, there are many who say attending church is not important to them. As a matter of fact, three out of five Christian teens say, I find God somewhere else. That's why church isn't important to me. 61% of young people who say yes to Jesus are saying, you know what? The church isn't helping me connect with God. Ouch. And so, it's going to cost us something. We may have to change in order for the next generation to receive the strength that comes from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Because, I don't know if you've noticed, things don't seem like they're getting better in the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us to expect that they will get worse. And so where will the next generations get their hope and their strength to make it through? Will they receive the strength from the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ? Will they find it in us, this part of Jesus' church? This is a deep value for PCTR. It's actually a major part of why I am here as pastor. Because I saw this early and I've seen it often If you've been with us for a while, you probably know that our original church building was in downtown Tom's River. It's the building that's connected to the library, and until recently, there was a Dunkin' Donuts in it. (laughs) But did you know that in 1903, we built a second building there? We made an addition. And the reason we decided to build at that time was to build a space for Sunday school for children who were already being welcomed into the faith and being raised up. But it was also to house what is called a Christian Endeavor Society. And a Christian Endeavor Society had as its explicit goal to evangelize, to share the faith of Jesus Christ with young people and to nurture them and raise them up as disciples of Jesus. 
at the turn of the, of the 20th century. We said, yes, it'll cost us. We're going to build. We're going to do construction for the sake of the next generation. In 1921, PCTR chartered Boy Scout Troop Number 1 in New Jersey to invest in the lives of boys. In 1951, we started the Westminster Nursery School, which is still functioning right here on this site to help nurture and raise these young children. In 1954, we started what was called a teen canteen. It was in that space, it was to provide a space where youth, young people could come and they could listen to music in a safe environment on the record player that the church had bought for them. In 1970, the elders of the church voted that, you know, even though it's controversial, they voted to utilize that space to allow for dances to happen so that there would be, a, again, a safe space where youth could come together, where relationships could be formed, where they could know they had a place in the life of the church. It was too important to them for the next generation to not be alienated from the church that they were willing to give up the forms and the standards that were dear in the past. It cost us And yet we were willing to pay the cost so the next generation could come and experience the strength that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we continue to pay the cost? It's happening in some ways now. I'm so grateful for those of you who are serving so faithfully and consistently among our children and youth ministries. You are just a beautiful representation and reminder to us that it is not just Lori's job and Amanda's job to pass the baton to the next generation. It is our job collectively, right? Paul didn't tell Timothy, hey, you pass the baton to everyone. No, he said you pass the baton to reliable people who will pass the baton to the others. And so I'm so grateful for those of you who do that specifically. And I I know that for some of you, that you are in a season of life now that it does not make sense for you to be hands-on with youth and children. And I also know that there are some who don't even like children. (laughs) And I'm not telling you you have to like children all of a sudden, but you can still love them and still invest in passing the baton to the next generation because if nothing else, you can pray for them. Desperately, they need our prayer because they are facing uncertainty and chaos and hardship that we really only have scratched the surface on. And they need our prayers. You can take an interest in them when you see them, when you see somebody in the generation or generations behind you, whatever it is. You can take an interest. You can smile at them. Even if you see them doing something that your parents or grandparents would have smacked your face, maybe in that moment the grace and love and acceptance of them is more important than following the rule and the tradition. Maybe the form isn't what's important. Maybe the gospel is what's important. You can take an interest in them. Just begin to ask questions. Get to know them. Ask what they're involved in. You might find that they're interested in something that you've been interested in, and they've got some things to teach you. Because they will. And you have some things to share with them. Every time you give, you are investing in the next generation in the ministry to continue to reach out, to pass the baton. When you give to the freedom campaign, in addition to that regular giving, you're giving to make sure that the next generation isn't carrying the debt of the previous generation because that's not God's plan. 
And it's not right. We haven't figured it out as a nation, but I'm grateful that we're in the middle of figuring it out as a church, that we don't want to strap that debt onto the next generation because that will not bring them the strength that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will just bring them more headache, more hardship, and more burden. Thank you. And of course, you can be invested in their life day in, day out, sharing time, being a part of the ministry. Connect with Lori. Connect with Amanda. If you're feeling God nudging you that you might have some capacity and you might have a calling to pass the baton more intentionally and more directly, come on, say yes. Because it's all of us. Exactly. It's all of our job to pass the baton. And so how are you helping the next generation know Jesus Christ? to experience the strength that comes from the gospel and how are you helping them learn to give their life away for the sake of the generation after them? Friends, the call is urgent. How will we respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, for your sovereign plan, for the people that you put before each and every one of us to pass the precious gift of the gospel to us. Thank you. Thank you that they were willing to endure, to change, to pay the cost so that we too could come to know you deeply. Lord, will you lead us into the next steps? Give us courage and wisdom to pay the, to pay the price that we can be, Lord, the people that pass that baton of faith to the generation and the next generation and the generation after that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.